All right, well, we're in the book of Romans again. Romans chapter 12. And we're going to read verses 1 and 2. We covered verse 1 last week. We'll cover, hopefully, verse 2 this week. But just to connect it a little bit, we'll begin again in verse 1. Paul writes here, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Father, we ask now you would bless your word to us and teach us tonight, Lord, as only you can do. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, you've uh, well, the title of this is Under Construction, but... You could also title it, maybe he's still working on me. You know, I love that little chorus. Uh, almost knocked my water off there. Uh, I love that little chorus that we sing often with the kids, but it's probably more appropriate for adults. Uh, he's still working on me, right, to make me what I ought to be. And um, we, we think of that process sometimes in the Christian life. And that's true. He is still working on us, Okay. He is still transforming us. And we come to this section of Romans, and really that's the emphasis here on the the Christian. He's he's changing us. Now, if I came in here tonight and I said, if if you could write a list of things that you'd like changed in your life, okay, or particularly personally about you, what would you like changed? You know, what would be some of the answers, I wonder? Maybe if we were honest, some of us would say, well, maybe... uh, uh, I'd like to lose some weight, or maybe uh, I'd like to have more hair on my head or something like that. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think baldness is perfection. It's just we're all reaching that. That's what I'm going. I don't really feel in heaven there'll ever be need to cover anything, so why have hair? You know, we're just, some of us are just a little closer than others. But anyways, but no, but you know, we have these, these things we would like to change in our life. Maybe it's an attitude adjustment, right? Oh, if I could just control my anger, or if I could just not be so cynical, or you know, we, we have a whole list of various things, and there's uh, definitely those kind of things we'd like transformed in our life. But, you know, that's not the transformation that the Lord's talking about here. Oh, that's part of it in the sense that someday, even the body itself will be transformed, and all those attitudes that go with it and everything else for the Christian are going to be finally uh, eradicated, the bad ones anyways, and all of those things that go on. But in reality, there's a process that is going on, and it's, it's not an overnight process. It's, it's a long, enduring process, and time and time again, the scriptures implore us to continue to press on, to run the race, to, to endure hardness, right? I mean, those are all uh, statements that Paul makes other, other places, and I think of that because, honestly, we need a change. We need a renovation, not just a renovation, but really a whole transformation and that's what the scripture says here do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God and really if you uh, think about that there's a process that goes on in all believers lives and and if we're yielded to the Lord and that's what he starts off he says and be not conformed to this world so First and foremost, you, you can't be conformed to the world, all right? The world is always pressing on us, attempting to conform us. And it would like to conform Christians, and it would like to conform Christ to their image as well, right? 
And I'm always uh, saddened when I hear of, you know, some some depiction of uh, Christ in an art museum or something like that, where somebody has come up with a new notion or some dramatic thing. Like I remember years ago in the um, the Last Temptation of Christ. I think that was the movie that came out, and in that uh, they depict Christ having a lustful thought from the cross. Oh, that's heresy. That's awful. That's anathema really and for someone to depict that but why would someone want a christ like that because they want someone who's like them conformed like them and and jesus by the way had no sin he did no sin he knew no sin he's sinless yet the world attempts to conform us and it should not surprise us when they come out with things like that and there's been far worse over the years and there's certainly an attack on on true biblical christianity because it attempts to be transformed and not conformed. I'm always reminded as well that we are a work in progress entirely. (laughs) When I was teaching at New Brunswick Bible Institute, I often would uh, kind of take note of the students that would come in, and some of you maybe uh, can say that in other places you've seen this, but I remember in freshman year I'd see students come and and I'd look at them and I'd think, oh boy, Lord, they're getting worse every year. What are you doing? You know, no, really, I would look and I was always thankful, but I would say, these guys are a work in progress, you know? And some of them came with some bad habits and some of them came with some, some things that they would get involved with that they had brought with them, you know, and those kind of things. And you think, is there any hope for them uh, to, to be conformed into the image of Christ, not being conformed into the image of the world? Sometimes the world has put its stamp on us pretty hard. I was always amazed at how many came from broken homes. And it seemed like every year more and more people coming from a broken home where mom or dad or both are absent and the kids are raising themselves. <laughs> and that doesn't, oh, that doesn't play out very well. Some would come and, and they had just been saved a few weeks perhaps or not even that. One, one guy came and I remember he, he had gotten saved the, week, the last week of summer camp in August and about a week later he's at MBBI you know had never had a Bible in his life and there he is with a Bible what do I do where do I go and you you say well you know turn to the book of Ecclesiastes and I could remember looking at him and he would have his index out there and he'd be looking for the book of Ecclesiastes and and I'm thinking he's here at MBBI and then watching over the period of weeks months years and God stamping his image on their lives and watching them to give up things and weep before the Lord and, and resolve sin issues and step by step walking in a holy walk, being disciplined in areas that they were never disciplined in before, and then walking, watching them three or four years later walk off and, and go into ministry and some going off into leading churches and headed off into missions and others... Uh, going to work you know at camps and those kind of things and still others going back just to be godly parents or godly workers somewhere in, in a secular job so to speak and I say that because it is a process and when you look at the, the process right now it's not over all right and it's a good thing it's not over he's still working on us by the way I still think today 
and I would encourage, I, I don't see many tonight, but you know, as far as even our kids that are here tonight, uh, you know, it's a good thing to study the Bible and even to get a chance, to, even if it's just one year out of your life, to go somewhere and study the Bible and focus on that. Set that foundation firm in your life. And I'll tell you, that's, a, that's an awesome opportunity. It really is. Sometimes we have um, these habits, and the, it says here, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I like that because uh, the word transformed, by the way, it's the word that we get for, in English, metamorphosis or a change. Um, and it is a change that be, starts on the inside out and goes to the outside. A few years ago, when I was living down in central Maine, uh, the piece of land that we were on, it was where the parsonage was in Passanumkeg, uh, on, in, the, in the ditch off the edge of the land, there was milkweed that grew there. And uh, milkweed is a favorite uh, uh, food for the caterpillar that develops into monarch butterflies. And one day I was out mowing the lawn, I came up against that edge of milkweed, and I looked, and there was a chrysalis, a, like a cocoon kind of thing, you know, chrysalis that, that's all formed up and it's hanging there off one of the leaves. Now, I had seen the little green worms on there and the little caterpillars that were, they were there often eating that milkweed throughout that summer. And I, I looked over and I saw that and I said, huh, there's going to be something actually come out of that, you know. And I went and cut the uh, plant and I stuck it in a jar and I brought it in my house, Okay. And we were sitting there, and it was on my desk, and it sat there for months and months and months and months. And I thought, whatever it was, it's long dead. You know, I never made it. I shouldn't have cut the branch. I was kind of feeling bad for it, you know, and, and all that. But then all of a sudden, one day, I came into my office, and there's a butterfly sitting on the edge of this, this uh, jar that I had. I kind of felt bad for the butterfly because by now they'd all disappeared and there he was, you know. But something had taken place that I could not see. <laughs> it had gone from this little crawling caterpillar, you know, which doesn't move very fast and is pretty much localized to just one thing. It's kind of a humble position if you think about it, being a caterpillar. I don't think they give much thought to it, but that's, you know, it is. They, I would much rather be a butterfly than a caterpillar, right? But uh, it went from that, and through that stage of metamorphosis, it turned into a butterfly. And it's interesting because that caterpillar was made to fly. But I've never seen a flying caterpillar. They just don't. They have to go through that change. And you know, for us as believers, we have been made to soar, okay, to fly spiritually. We're, we're made in the image of God. A man ended up, you know, oh boy, he, he really blew it, didn't he? Fell into sin, chose to sin rather than to follow God and be conformed to God's image. And, and instead, he, he went that way and, you know, he had to crawl around for a long time. But you know what? There's an opportunity to be transformed. And it's not an overnight experience, not an instantaneous experience. That little caterpillar did not go instantly into flight mode. It took months and months and months. And it took months where I thought there was no spiritual or no life in it. And I'd say, there's, there's no, sometimes you look at somebody and you say, I wonder if there's any spiritual life in that person. They, they made a profession years ago, and boy, they seem like they really haven't grown much. And I can just say this, that if it's real, it, God's working, and he's still working, and he hasn't given up. Don't you give up on it. 
Sometimes we have to go through this uh, transforming process, and it, it isn't an easy process. Uh, I mentioned MBBI, I used that illustration just because it was a big part of our life for about 10 years of our life. We served there at the school, and I, I went to the school for three years, and so it's been a big part of my life for sure. And when I was a student there, we still had the barn, and, and I know that, uh, <coughs> Dan, you, you know all about cows and everything there, but I'll tell you, um, there was a dairy, and there was half the guys on campus, they got selected to work in the dairy, okay? And when their week came up, they had to get up early in the morning and go and milk the cows. And I remember, you know, 4 o'clock in the morning or so, uh, some of the guys stumbling out of bed and, you know, just looking like they're half asleep going out. Blizzard might be outside, you know, snow up to your knees or waist or whatever, and headed out. And I remember one guy, he'd, he'd go off, he's I'm going to spend time with the ladies. <laughs> the ladies were cows is what it was, and he was going to spend time with them for sure. And they, they had to milk them and then make sure that milk was uh, put through its you know, filtering and all that and then brought over and put in the cooler at school and all the process of that. And it took a good, um, a good while every morning to do that. And then they had to do it in the afternoon again. And, it, and I remember guys saying, oh, this is awful, this is terrible. And then years later, hearing them come back and say, those were the best things that ever happened to me. When I was on, I served with Mr. Knowles on his farm crew or, or Mr. Kerr on the maintenance crew or, or whatever it was. And, and, and they made me get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and go and milk cows because it taught them to get up and, and get at it and do something that probably you get no reward for other than, you know, somebody sat down at breakfast and had a good, nice, fresh glass of milk, you know, and, uh, and those kind of things. But when I say that, it's just... Sometimes the process that we want, we want it, you know, we want it without all the work. And there's a process here because Paul talks about, he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is work. Because if you're like some of us, I, I spent the first 18 years of my life being conformed to the world and filling my mind with a lot of garbage. A lot of things that if I was to confess them tonight, they'd be, I'd be very shamed about. But I can tell you that Christ, when he got a hold of me, all of a sudden he put my mind on a different track. And, and I, I still can go back to those other things, you know what I mean? But, but work. <laughs> Say, Lord, no, I'm not going to do that. Elsewhere, Paul talks about girding up the loins of our minds. Uh, taking every thought captive. That's in the mind when you do that. And something comes along and says, hey, I want to conform you to the world. And you say, no, I'm going to take it captive. That's work. Because it's easy to be lazy and just let it kind of wash over us. It's harder not to be lazy and to, to gird up our minds, right? That means to firm them, that, firm them up. And simply how you do that, I believe some very simple steps like memorizing scripture. Uh, memorizing, uh, you know, or thinking on godly things, right? Thinking on holy things, uh, not just unholy thoughts, all that. That all begins in the, in the mind. And that's what he's talking about here being transformed by the renewing of your mind as someone put it this way whatever is in the well comes up in the bucket doesn't it and and that's what happens and sometimes if our well is dry or if it's filled with a bunch of bad things it'll come out and uh, Paul reminds us to be transformed not conformed the word transformed there um, I have that same word here I'm keep on going Mark chapter 9 you remember the story there of Jesus 
on the Mount of Transfiguration. He takes his disciples, not all of them, by the way, it's just Peter, James, and John. I have stopped right there sometimes and wondered, where were the rest? I mean, maybe they just didn't want to climb a mountain. I mean, I just, I just climbed a mountain there a couple weeks ago with Harry Straub and the group there. We went up Rocky Mountain. That wasn't a very high mountain compared to probably the mountain that this was because they were able to look out. And, and I, I'm just saying this, that after that, you just, you know, that's work. It's easier to stay home and, you know, watch TV or something like that. But no, these three decided that they would take Jesus up on his invitation and they go up. And they were privileged because they did the extra. They were privileged to see something that nobody else saw. Just they did. Just them. That's it. It says, And he led them up on a high mountain, apart by themselves. Sometimes we need to get apart. Sometimes we need to get away. Unfortunately, many people have come to to the Christian life, and and they they come to it just like we go camping now. (laughs) You ever ever think about that? When I was growing up, and I'm not saying camping's worse now or not, but when I was growing up, Growing up, we, we grabbed a few provisions, threw them in a knapsack, went out with a tent or something, and sometimes not even a tent, and we spent the night in the woods or a few days or fishing or whatever, and you had to build a fire and you had to cook stuff and you'd get all smoke-covered and smelly and uh, you get bitten by the black flies and all. Now we got, you know, a $100,000 RV and you go and you've got your satellite dish and you've got all the comforts of home and, and you don't experience the outward, you know. People don't want to go outside and build a fire. They'd rather make sure they never have to leave it, you know. They'd like to go around and somehow see the rest of the world, but, but not experience that. We, we kind of come to Christianity the same way. I'm not saying that's wrong. If you like the RV, amen, go for it, you know, have a good time. Go. I'd like to do that someday, you know. But I, I say this, sometimes it's better to, to tromp through the weeds and the grass and the trees and everything else and go to the little brook that nobody else does and and there you might find a fishing hole that's better than anybody else even knows about. And I think of that because that's like the disciples. They go up on this mount with the Lord, and he's transfigured in front of them. That's the word that is used. Look what it says. His clothes became shining, exceeding white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Wow. He was transfigured. And the word metamorphosis is used there, and I didn't read that last part of uh, verse 3. He was transfigured before them. His clothes became shiny, exceeding white like snow. And here they are, and they're with Jesus, and all of a sudden, he pulls back for a moment, just a moment. He pulls back the veil. Now, you realize that Jesus Christ was fully God, yet he was fully man. And he literally put on flesh and he, he the glory of god was was hidden in flesh is really what it was he was still god and just for a moment he he's transfigured in front of them and they see the shining glory that is there and even moses and elijah show up <laughs> boy moses representing the law elijah representing the prophets what do the law and the prophets testify they testify of christ And to these three Jews, that was extremely important. Actually, it was Peter that said, let's build a tabernacle for three of them, you know, for Moses and for for Elijah and for Jesus. And that wasn't what it was about. He was showing them that I am God. 
You know, sometimes we need to climb some high mountains spiritually in our lives and we'll sweat a little bit and work a little bit and take time to do that. And God will reveal something that he doesn't reveal to anybody else. Or he doesn't reveal it to many others. I think one of the things about being a disciple of Christ, there, there are many who believe in Christ and I think are saved. I, I really do that. They, they, they believe that. And yet, to be a disciple of Christ implies you're going to go a step further and you're going to be disciplined in His ways. And I want to be a disciple. I want somebody to come along and say, you know, I, I didn't just you know, take up space sitting in a pew somewhere, but I actually I, I partook of Christ. Not in a proud way, but in a way that just says, I saw his glory like nobody else. You know, that's neat. And it's not, a, it's not a secret thing that he only does for a select few. The invitation is to anybody who will. Anybody. I, it doesn't say it in the text that the other disciples were invited. Maybe they weren't. But these ones took him up on it. We know that for sure. Being transfigured from the inside out. In 1464, a sculptor named Agostino de Ducio began working on a huge piece of flawed marble. He was intending to produce a magnificent sculpture of an Old Testament prophet for a cathedral in Florence, Italy. He labored for two years and then he stopped. In 1476, Antonio Rossellino started to work on the same piece of marble and in time abandoned it also. In 1501, a 26-year-old sculptor named Michelangelo was offered a considerable sum of money to produce something worthwhile from the enormous block of marble now called the giant. As he began his work, he saw a major flaw near the bottom that had stymied the other sculptors, and including Leonardo da Vinci, who had also been called to do something with it. He decided to turn that part of the stone into a broken tree stump that would support the right leg. And then the rest he worked on for four years until he had produced the incomparable David. And if you've ever seen that, it is a depiction of a man, supposedly the perfect man. And it's a masterful work of art. He almost looks like he could come to life at any moment. Today, the 17-foot-tall statue stands on display at the Academia Gallery in Florence, where people come from around the world to view it, and it is considered more than a masterpiece. And, you know, the illustration there is this, that sometimes we come to a point in our life and we think, there's this great big flaw, and I don't know how, God, you can ever do something with that. This great big mess, (laughs) and yet let him sculpt us. He's working on us. He's changing us. He's making us into His image. And sometimes it takes work and it takes years to come to that. We're really a work in progress. And someday maybe we'll look a whole lot different than we are today, spiritually and and even physically, when we are with the Lord. We're a work in progress for that. We have to also, as I said, not only be transformed, but reprogram our minds. Oh, by the way, I didn't finish this, but Mark 9, verses 7 and 8. I love this. Um, this is right after you know the dialogue with Peter making tabernacles and all that. And uh, look what it says. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. The, here you have God speaking... 
God the Father, speaking about the Son. You know what he says to these disciples? He says, hear him. Hear him. If you'll hear Jesus, and implication there is that you'll also follow what he says, listen, you too will see things and, and be transformed. And he goes on to say, suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with them. Only Jesus with themselves. And, you know, again, you don't need any more, all right? Uh, we need him. And that's the, the starting point with all of that. We must transform our minds. And quite frankly, um, I, I think of all the enemies that we all have and all that. Probably my greatest enemy I'm just is myself. I'm my worst enemy. Because the mind is a place where you play games in your mind, your tricks and things like that. And, and that's where you're defeated often in those things. And we come to that and we come to this this uh, part of our Christian walk and sometimes the mind is a bunch of junk in it and you bring that along with you and, and here Paul says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. First John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Here is John. By the way, he was one of the disciples that had seen Jesus at the transfiguration. And I think he's alluding to that very thing. He's saying this, that we aren't what we are supposed to be. and we are not, We're not finished yet. Someday we're going to be like him. Think of the description of Jesus' clothes. He was... He was this glowing white, and it was like such that no launderer, nobody who could make something white, no detergent that ever made could ever bring that kind of whiteness. That's what he looked like. Someday in glory, in heaven, we're going to be like him. We're we're not going to be stealing his glory, but we'll be radiating his glory in its fullness and be like a a lamb like he's a lamb without spot or blemish someday we will be without spot or blemish transfigured we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is and i i look forward to that day i do Ray Pritchard, in his comments on this section, he has a little formula. And I like the practical part of Ray Pritchard's ministry. When he always preaches, he always has some little practical thing to leave with you. I steal a lot of his stuff. But he told me to do that. I asked him before, and he said, take whatever you can use. You know, I found out he stole this from Charles Ryrie. So it was no different. But uh, he has a little formula, and, and he learned it at first uh, from Charles Ryrie back in camp in ni- 1972 when Charles Ryrie was there speaking on Word of Life Island. And um, it's very simple. It's T plus HH equals SG. Okay? If you remember anything tonight, write down this formula. And it's very simple. It just means this. Time plus holy habits equals spiritual growth. Okay? Time plus holy habits equals spiritual growth. Somehow we want to eliminate some of that. Like a lot of times it's just, we want to take out the T. I don't want the time involved, right? I, I don't want to have to live a whole life in this way. I, I just want it to happen now. 
That's why patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit that is necessary to produce godliness in our life. I'm not a, by nature a patient person. Well, God has slowed me down over the years. It's a good thing, right? Sometimes He has to do that. And then there's holy habits. Now that's another area. We don't like that. I don't even like the word holy sometimes. Do you? Be honest. That implies that I've got to be more like Him. And I know I'm not always like Him. And yet I can be. And He's called me to a life of holiness. And I'm a work in progress. But I'll tell you, the Lord has made me holy. And not only in position that He's called us out, but He's also producing holiness in our life if we'll let Him transforming our minds right and by transforming your mind you transform your habits holy habits i was watching the funeral for billy graham not long ago and uh last week or whenever it was and uh billy kim who was a korean and he works with the billy graham evangelistic association he spoke he was one of the few people that, that spoke outside the family anyways at the funeral and, you know, he, he went back to a time, I think it was 1973 or so, when he was um, called to, uh, in Seoul, Korea, to be the translator for Billy Graham. And while they were getting ready to start this big crusade meeting that they had, uh, Billy Kim went to find Billy Graham, all right? And he said he went off to the side of where they were meeting, and he went into a room, and there he found Billy Graham on his knees praying. And he, he's told that story at the funeral because it impacted his life. He saw a man whose habit was to get down on his knees and pray and really demonstrate, I think, a very much a reliance on the Lord like few have ever had. And my wife said something very profound when we were watching that. She says, habits like that don't happen overnight. Hmm. Habits like that don't happen overnight. You know, I don't think he was on the other side of the door waiting for somebody to come look at him so he could get down on his knees. I, I think it's called getting caught doing something good. <laughs> Lots of getting caught doing something bad that goes on. But for a Christian, it should be that we're caught doing good things. Like showing that we are entirely dependent upon the Lord. And it'll, that's a holy habit. Prayer. And it's not something that happens instantly. It's something that is developed through years and many, many days of succession, sometimes many times during a day of stopping and saying, I'm going to show that I'm reliant on you, Lord. Come before you. I don't care if anybody knows I'm doing this, I'm going to do it. Holy habits. What, what are your holy habits? Then there's another one, that, and Ray Pritchard added this one in. T plus HH plus GE equals SG, Okay. I'll have a test on this tomorrow, okay? Uh, listen. Time plus holy habits plus godly encouragement. Godly encouragement equals spiritual growth. Now, the godly encouragement, that's from others. That, that's surrounding yourself with good company. And I'll tell you, we live in a world that there's lots of people who want to give advice. And if you have a trouble or a trial that you're going through, you will find 10 counselors out there. They might not be official counselors, but there are 10 people out there that will give you counsel. Probably most of them will be bad counsel. 
And lots of that going on today. Lots of opinions. All of those different things. Surround yourself with people that are building you up. Christians that are godly Christians. And they can be godly encouragement. Sometimes it's knowing that if I go to this person, they're going to grab me, by, take me by the side, and they're going to, they're going to pray with me. They're going to help me to get, get off the couch and get moving and do those kind of things. And we need that. Every one of us needs godly encouragement. And I think it's, it's a ministry every one of us could be involved in. Just remember we're a work in progress, right? <clears throat> I have that from that uh, verse in there. But time plus holy habits plus godly encouragement equals spiritual growth. While I was watching the uh, the funeral of Billy Graham, not I just that was fresh in my mind, and it kind of went with this message tonight. I was reminded that his wife, Ruth Graham, passed on, and she went to heaven back in 2006, I think it was. And uh, she was buried there on the same grounds that that they buried Billy Graham uh, last week there. And uh, on Billy Graham's uh, tombstone that they had, they talked about that in the news and all that, he had a a reference, John 14, 6, okay? And that's the only reference that's on there, and, and that's his, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes onto the Father but through me, right? And that's Jesus is the only way. And I, I, was, uh, I was thinking about that, and I wondered what Ruth Graham's, uh, her tombstone said. I mean, it's been sitting there for over 10 years now, and, and I, I looked it up online, and uh, this is the little garden plot that they have, and, and now they're going to bury the body of Billy Graham next to his wife there, or his wife's body. And you can't see what it says on that tombstone. It gives the date of her birth, her name, date of birth, and date of death. And then this phrase. I love this. End of construction. Thank you for your patience. Wow. Of all the things you would end up writing on your tombstone, or having written on your tombstone, what a great phrase. It's really Romans 12 too, right? You see, we're in a process of construction, and one of these days it's going to finally end. And all we can say is thank you for your patience, right? Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful tonight that, Lord, we're a work in progress. We know that, but yet you're the one that is the, the sculptor. And, Lord, I, I know if you, you, you must, it would seem like, Lord, you'd be discouraged with us at times for our, our walk with you and all of those things. And yet, Lord, you see the end. You see it like no one else can see it. Lord, thank you for the promise that we'll be like him. We look forward to that day. Until then, Lord, help us to develop holy habits and be people of godly encouragement. Help us to serve in areas perhaps no one else in this world will ever know, but you will see. So that, Lord, we'll be conformed into your image, even starting now. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.